Amen. Well, good morning. If you're joining us for the first time this morning, we're really glad that you've taken time to be with us. Uh, So a special welcome to you. As we begin, I want to invite you into something that we do every week as a church family. As we open up a book of the Bible and we begin to look at it verse by verse. We want to understand what those verses mean, but more importantly, what they mean to our daily life. How do those truths apply to everyday life? Well, normally I would step away from our normal routine uh, of looking at a particular passage uh, and do something special for Easter. But this year, it just so happens that Easter is built into our regular passage of study. And so what we're going to do this morning is look at how Paul speaks to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And not only that, his promised return. As I've thought about those three core truths, I've realized how important it is for those three things to stand together. The death, the resurrection, and the return of Jesus Christ. Because if you take away any one of those truths, we lose hope in all of them. It's what I'll call a trilogy of truth. The death, the resurrection, and the return of Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father, as we open up your word, we pray that you open up our hearts. We are celebrating the fact that you're alive. So would you make our faith come alive as we hear your truth spoken into our hearts. And may it impact how we live and rejoice in this day of celebration as we look to your resurrection as a living hope. We pray this in your name. Amen. So we're in the book of Thessalonians. It's a church Paul or Paul a letter that Paul has written to a church that he established there. And so in chapter 4 verse 13, I want you to listen to what he has to say. He says, "But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope." So let me give you a little context of the concern for the people in the Thessalonian church. You see, Paul has been on a missionary journey, establishing Christian churches in cities along the way, but it hasn't been an easy journey because all along the way, he has faced all kinds of opposition. In fact, he was only in Thessalonica, where this church is, for less than three weeks before he was run out of town by an angry Jewish mob. That's because many of the Jews were against the Christians because the Christians chose to follow Jesus. According to many Jews, Jesus was an enemy of God, not the one sent by God. But their desire was driven by selfish gain. You see, they were looking for a conquering king, someone who could give them power, not a suffering servant. But the Scriptures spoke very clearly about what to expect about the promised Messiah. If you look in the Old Testament, the scriptures that they knew very well, Isaiah chapter 3 describes this Messiah and says that he's one who does not have a stately form or majesty, nor an appearance that we should be attracted to him. So the promised Messiah would not be recognized by his appearance or his social status in his humanity. He'd look like everyone else. But what the Messiah did was very different than anyone else. In fact, Jesus said, if you don't believe because of the things I say, then believe because of the things I do. 
Because what he did, nobody else has ever had the power to do. He made the lame to walk. He gave sight to the blind. He even raised the dead to life. At the end of John's Gospel, after describing the life and ministry of Jesus, he sums everything up this way when he says, Many other, many other signs Jesus therefore performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this, these, this book. But these have been written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. You see, the church is made up of people who believe that Jesus is the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world. In fact, in Acts chapter 4, it says that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given unto men by which we can be saved. In the church that Paul is writing to, there were people who were willing to die for that truth. Because in verse 13 of our passage, that is the concern that Paul is addressing. They're wondering about those who've fallen asleep, which is the way the Bible describes those who have died. And quite possibly, in fact, very likely, they probably died because of their faith. These were early Christian martyrs. And Paul writes and says, I don't want you to grieve without hope. He acknowledges that we, we lose someone we love, we grieve. But when that person belongs to the Lord, we have a hope. And here's why. Look at verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. So here we have the first two pieces of our trilogy, the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's the Easter message, isn't it? I told you, it's built right into our passage this morning. The death of Jesus is why we believe. For many, it's why they don't believe. But as a Christian, the death of Jesus Christ is why we believe. We believe that Jesus was sent by God to die for us. And here's why. If we go back to that Isaiah passage. He goes on and writes later in verse 5, he says that this promised Messiah would be pierced for our transgressions, that he'd be crushed for our sins that the punishment that, that we deserve would fall on him and that by his wounds we would be healed. So there's a punishment that we deserve. We see that in this passage in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, goes on to explain what that punishment is. It says, the wages of sin is death. That's the punishment. But this is more than just physical death, you know, when, when our heart stops beating and our, and our lungs starts, stops breathing because we're all going to die someday. That's just a fact. Instead, this is a death that stands in the way of a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 24, truly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And does not come into judgment, but here it is, has passed out of death into life. See, if you take away the death of Jesus Christ, we remain dead in our sin. Eternally separated 
from a life-giving relationship with God. The whole reason Jesus came was to rescue us from sin's judgment. First Peter describes it when he says, He, Jesus, died for our sins once for all. The just for the unjust. And here's why. So that he might bring us to God. Having put to death through the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So here we have the the second part of our trilogy, the the resurrection of Jesus. Because you might ask, wasn't it enough just for Jesus to die for our sins? Didn't that kind of take care of things? And the answer to that is no. If you take away the resurrection, you take away all Christian hope. The Bible is very clear about that. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, Paul writes and says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. I like to think of it this way. The death of Jesus Christ took away sin's punishment. The resurrection of Jesus Christ takes away sin's power. That's why the Bible describes the resurrection of Jesus and he says that death was swallowed up in victory. I love that because it reminds us that Jesus rose victorious from the grave. Last week we talked about how Jesus is the, the first fruits of the resurrection. Now, this time of year, that should especially make sense to us because everything that was dead and dormant is starting to come back to life. Trees are putting on leaves, and many of them have flowers. And for some of them, those flowers will turn into fruit. And when you see one piece of fruit, you know that there's a whole lot more coming. Isn't it awesome how God built the gospel into his creation? We see the resurrection every single year being put on display. The dead coming back to life. Well, what we learn from the Bible is that the resurrection of Jesus is the first fruits of those who believe in him. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says, Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. This is incredible. Don't miss this. That same power that raised Jesus from the grave will also give victory over the grave for those who belong to Jesus. In fact, Jesus promises that anyone who belongs to him can never, ever be separated from him. That's why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, he says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In other words, when we're not here in this fleshly body, we are in the presence of God instantly. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. And Paul writes about this when he sends a letter to the Romans, and he makes a long list of things that uh, cannot separate us. And I want you to notice what's number one on his list. He says, for I am convinced that neither death, number one, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing 
can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The death of Christ takes away sin's punishment. The resurrection of Christ takes away sin's power. And in its place is the power to overcome the grave. That's why we have hope even in the face of death. But there's still one more piece. The death, the resurrection, and the return of Jesus Christ. Let's look back at our passage in Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15. Paul goes on and says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now to understand this passage, it's important to know that these early Christians that Paul is writing to were expecting the return of Christ in their lifetime. And they were worried that those who had died would miss out on Jesus' return, that he would come, but they would already be gone. That's why Paul begins with saying, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who have fallen asleep. And then what Paul tells them next is not what he thinks might happen. He says very clearly, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord. This is what Jesus proclaimed, that there would be a day of his return. In God's calendar of events, that day has been set so that each day we live is one day closer to Christ's return. And this return will be made visible for all the world to see. You're not going to miss it, I promise. Paul says that Jesus himself will descend from heaven with a shout. And I don't know about you, but I'm thinking when Jesus shouts, he's going to have everybody's attention. But along with Jesus, it says that there's an an archangel. That's a, a warrior angel. And that he will come proclaiming victory. Along with the warrior angel, we have the trumpet of God. So I want you to just picture this in your minds, if you would. Jesus descending from heaven. The proclamation of an angel warrior claiming victory over death. And then the trumpet of God. (laughs) If you're still unaware, you're not going to miss the trumpet of God. But I want you to notice what all this commotion is about. Jesus is calling forth the dead in Christ to rise first. But let's be very clear about something that's important here. The soul, that part of you that makes you, the very being of who you are, that's always present with the Lord if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. That's why he says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Next week we'll look at a passage in First Thessalonians chapter 5 that says whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. And so what this is telling us is that Jesus is doing something brand new right here. Listen to how Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians chapter 
15, verse 51. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And let me be clear here that when he says all, he's talking about both the dead and alive in Christ. He says, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, there it is, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall all be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable. This mortal must put on immortality. Remember, he said this is a mystery, so we're not going to completely wrap our heads around this, but this is what we do know. Both the dead and alive in Christ will be instantly changed. Who they were will become who they are for all eternity. Glorified bodies. No more sickness. No more disease. No more sin. That's the promise. That's what's happening here. Those who belong with Christ will be raised with Christ in imperishable, glorified, complete bodies. As Paul tells the Thessalonians, he says this should be comforting and encouraging to you. But this, I think, is where we have to be really honest with ourselves. Is the return of Christ comforting to you? Because how you feel about the return of Christ says something really important about your relationship with Christ. Those who love Jesus, I promise, we long for his return. But those who don't know Jesus aren't so sure if this is good news or not. I mean, what if he were to have come back last week when you were doing whatever you were doing? Would that be good news or, or not? In fact, let me just say this. The Bible speaks about the birth pains of before his return. Kind of like a woman going in labor. There will be signs that the return of Christ is very near. And those are described in various places, and it includes things like earthquakes and, and famines. One of the things that is mentioned specifically is global sickness, pandemic. Now, I don't know if what we're experiencing with this pandemic right now is one of those signs or not, but I will say this. I think it would be wise for all of us, like those early Christians, to anticipate the return of Christ in our lifetime. The question is, are you ready for that day? So with that in mind, let's finish up considering that question. Because if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, if you believe that that sacrifice was for your sins and that by his blood you have been cleansed, then you have an eternal hope that can never be taken away. And if you've not come to that place, then you need to know the invitation still stands. Because listen to this. The only reason Jesus hasn't returned is because of his love for you. And the reason I know that's true is because in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, he writes and says, The Lord is not slow about his promise. And let me just point out, he's talking about the promise of the return of Christ. Because in that passage, there were some who were saying, oh, he's not going to return. That's just a myth. That's not going to happen. But Peter's writing, so it'll happen. And he's saying, the Lord is not slow about his promise to return, as some count slowness, but is patient 
not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. That word repentance is the idea of turning from your sin and trusting in Him. Trusting in God's promises more than you trust yourself, believing that your eternity is in His hands. And that's good news. Paul says, comfort one another with these words. And I do pray that these words have been comforting to you. The death, the resurrection, and the return of Christ. It's what allows us as believers to have the same conviction of Job when he says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that one day he will stand upon the earth. My prayer is that we all long for that day with a hope eternal. With that, let me pray. Father, thank you for this day, Resurrection Sunday, a day when we recognize the truth of you overcoming the grave. We recognize the importance of your death for the forgiveness of our sins. We recognize the importance of your resurrection for the power to overcome the grave. We recognize the importance of your return because you have made a place for us and you will come again to take us home where we will be made complete. Lord, thank you that we don't have to be eternally in progress, plagued by sin's curse, because you take that away to live eternally in your presence where sin will be no more. We become everything you created us to be. As we rejoice in Resurrection Sunday, may we long for the day of your return. And we pray this in your name. Amen.